I just first want to say thank you to each and every one of you who have been praying for me, who've been praying for my wife, for my family. Some of you know that on the way to church last Sunday, my wife fell on the ice and broke her femur in multiple places, broke her arm in multiple places. It's a pretty traumatic event. Uh, She came home from the hospital Thursday. We've got all that we need at home with all the equipment, and I've had a ton of support from uh, many of you. And so I just want to give a heartfelt thank you. We love you, and we thank you so much. It is such a blessing to be part of a church family who truly does love one another. Uh, It is so encouraging. So my wife sends her thanks, and I just want to apologize on her behalf that if she's not responsive like she typically is, it's, it's a lot she's dealing with right now. So just give her time. Be patient. She doesn't respond to your text, to your Facebook. She's got like one arm, you know, and all that going on and stuff. I promise uh, there'll be better days ahead. But please keep praying. This is a long road. This isn't something that's over next week, unfortunately. But thank you for walking this journey with us. So today we're returning to our message series, Hope in Suffering. And we've been going through the book of First Peter verse by verse. Peter's purpose in writing this book was to offer encouragement to the Christians there who were suffering in their faith. How many of you need encouragement today? Yeah. Yeah, we all could use some encouragement. Peter starts out by reminding us of the inheritance that we are yet to receive. And he's talking about the hope of our salvation. He's talking about the hope of laying hold of eternal life. He says that we receive this by being born again into a living hope. And this happens when we believe and we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It's this hope that we've got to keep in focus no matter what's going on in our lives. That's the hope that we've got to keep in focus. And in every message in this series, we have been reading this verse. Because Romans 15:13 is the theme of this series. Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God is our source of hope. It's not our circumstances. It's not our bank accounts. It's not our family. It's not even our friends. It's not what you can do. It's not even what you think you're capable of. No, God is our source of hope. And there is no substitute for him. It's his joy and it's his peace that you want because anything else will not last. Anything else will not satisfy. Now, Satan works overtime into deceiving us into thinking that we can find hope anywhere but God. He distracts us by tempting us to place our hope anywhere except in God. And let me tell you something he's a liar. Amen? He is a liar. God is our source of hope. And when you trust him, he will give you confidence no matter what you're walking through, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's the truth. So do you trust him? You're really quiet. Do you trust him? (laughs) You guys haven't learned already. I really like feedback. Let's make this interactive. (laughs) Now, most of you have heard how we are to love the Lord. Most of you have heard how we are to hope in the Lord. Most of you have heard how we are to have faith in the Lord. But I bet most of you have never heard much about how we are to fear the Lord. And therein lies 
the greatest problem and the greatest challenge of our day. There is no fear of the Lord. You want to know what the leading cause of death was last year, worldwide, 2020? Anyone want to take a guess? Heart attack, suicide, what else? Planned Parenthood. You're, you're really close, you're warm. What was the leading cause of death? Abortion. So listen, before I go any further, if that's you, you've made that decision somewhere along in your past, or perhaps you were part of that decision, I just want to say that there is love and forgiveness for you. John says in 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. So that may be in your past, but that doesn't define who you are now. So getting back to that question, there were 42 million babies murdered last year. Let me put that in perspective. Okay, that was 42 million worldwide. Last year, there were 1.8 million deaths as a result of the coronavirus. Now, some, some people refer to that affectionately as the China virus. But whatever you call it, 1.8 million. That number is arguably not accurate. Even the CDC says that about half of those deaths weren't the result of the actual virus, but they were the result of some other cause. But even if we stay with that number, 1.8 million, that makes abortion in 2020 23 times more deadly than the coronavirus. There's the real pandemic. A world that can murder its children is a world that does not fear God. And this is exactly what's wrong with our country today. There is no fear of the Lord. This country was founded on God, and yet look how far we've fallen. Sin is rampant in our society today. Sin is excused. Sin is tolerated. Sin is even celebrated. Why? Because there is no fear of the Lord. When there's no fear of the Lord, there is no limit to evil. When there's no fear of the Lord, there's only chaos. When there's no fear of the Lord, then anything goes. Sadly, it's just as the prophet Isaiah said. What's evil is called good, and what's good is called evil. Abortion is called choice. Pornography in all its forms, and there are many, is called entertainment. Homosexuality is called an acceptable and alternative lifestyle. Pedophilia is called sexual orientation. The gospel is called offensive. So what do we do about it? What do we do about that, the gospel being called offensive? We remove the offense and we call it being seeker-friendly, being seeker-sensitive. Political correctness and gender neutrality are called essential. Listen, God made them male and female. The end. I could go on, but the bottom line here is that there's no fear of the Lord. That's the diagnosis of America. You want to know why America is sick? Because there is no fear of the Lord. And don't think for a minute that it's just those unbelieving heathens outside the church. Sadly, our churches are full of those who really have little 
or no fear of the Lord. Statistically speaking, there is very little difference in the lifestyle between those living in the church and those living outside of it. Because many in the church are living their lives as if God didn't even exist. Now, Pastor Craig Rochelle has a name for these kinds of people. He calls them Christian atheists. I know all about that because I was a Christian atheist. I grew up knowing the Lord. I've been in a church my whole life. And yet I live my life as if God didn't even exist. Because when you looked at my life, there was no discernible difference between what I was doing and what people outside the church were doing. That's what a Christian atheist is. Sadly, our churches are full of those kinds of people. They're indulging in all the same behaviors and all the same sins. Why? Because there is no fear of the Lord. This is the root of every problem, every failure, every fall, and every sin. There's no fear of the Lord. In Romans chapter 3, verse 9, Paul tells all the people are under the power of sin. Why? In verse 18, he goes on to tell us why. Because they have no fear of God at all. Oh, let us be men and women who fear the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we invite you here. We want to hear from you. I ask that your Holy Spirit would come into this house, fill each and every heart and mind, that we may focus upon your word. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week, Pastor Bruce spoke an incredibly and powerful message entitled, What Do We Do Now? This is right after the inauguration. What Do We Do Now? was the title of his message. If you haven't heard it, if you haven't seen it, I want to encourage you to go back and watch or listen to that. Check it out. Today I'm going to build on that message. The question was, what do we do now? Well, here's my answer to that. We live in the fear of the Lord. That's what we do, and that's the title. Living in the fear of the Lord. Living in the fear of the Lord. Unfortunately, this is a subject that you don't hear enough about in our world today. But it's absolutely essential. If you're not living in the fear of the Lord, then you're not truly living. Because living in the fear of the Lord is the only way to live. Now, my focus today is to answer three very important questions. First, we're going to start with, what is the fear of the Lord? We're going to talk about what it is, and we're going to talk about what it's not. Number two, we're going to talk about, why is the fear of the Lord important? Come on, I thought that was Old Testament. We're under the New Covenant now, right? Well, we're going to talk about that. And number three, how do I live in the fear of the Lord? How do I live out this message? Now, if you internalize what the Holy Spirit is going to speak today, I promise it will revolutionize your life. Turn with me in your Bibles to our main text for today. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 15. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's okay. We'll have it up on the screen and you can follow along there. So the Apostle Peter, he says, You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. Now, the word holy here, it means to be set apart. You guys know that. We've talked about that in prior messages in this series. But you might be asking the question, set apart from what? What should I be set apart from? Well, it's to be set apart from sin. Holy means to be set apart from sin. 
Now, when we accept Jesus into our heart, that power of sin is broken. It's broken. We're no longer in bondage to sin anymore. It's like the handcuffs have come off. We are now free. It's like we're in a cage and the door that's locked is now open and we can freely walk out because we're no longer slaves anymore because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. When he died upon that that cross and he shed his blood for you and for me, he paid that penalty that none of us could ever repay, right? We're free from that. But that doesn't mean that we're instantly holy, does it? You're not instantly holy the moment that you accept Jesus into your life. You see, because being holy is a process. And there's a fancy word for this process. Theologians call it sanctification. That's the holy, that's the the word for it there. Now, if you're a child of God, you're going through this process. You're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So you could say that becoming holy is the process of purging sin from our lives. It's getting rid of sin. And becoming holy is both a work of God and of you. You have a responsibility in this too. So you might be asking, well, what is this responsibility? Well, Paul tells us what it is in 2 Corinthians 7.1. He says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. There's the purging of sin right there. There's the getting rid of our sin out of our lives. How do we do that, Paul? Well, he tells us how right after the comma perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, fear of God is what perfects holiness, meaning it's what brings holiness to completion. Because the fear of the Lord is what drives sin out of our lives. It's what keeps sin away. Amen. Let me illustrate it this way. Picture this large dam, right? And that large wall on that dam is like the fear of the Lord. The dam is holding back millions and millions and gallons of water, isn't it? Well, that's what the fear of the Lord does in your life. It holds back sin. So as long as you have the fear of the Lord in your life, then you've got a protective barrier against sin. But as soon as you start to lose that fear of the Lord, as soon as you start to lose that fear of the Lord, what happens? A crack appears, and then water starts to come out, doesn't it? And when that water comes out, it's like there's, uh, that dam just breaks, and then all that water comes rushing over. That's what happens when you lose the fear of the Lord, and that's the moral failure of sin. So, I was so excited that I just skipped over a whole section here. You guys... (laughs) You guys picture this, though. You got this in your mind, the fear of the Lord? Okay. I'm going to pick up where I left off because this is so good. Let's just go back to 1 Peter. So if we go back to 1 Peter here, it says, You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Now, Peter goes on in verse 17, and he says, And... If you call on your Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now this word and is really important. It's really important because what Peter is doing here is he's equating... 
the importance of what he just said with what he's going to say next. He says, you must be holy in everything you do and if you call on your Father. Now, in other words, if you claim the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a child of God, He's your Father, and then conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. In what? Fear. You might be thinking in fear. Well, wait a minute. The Bible tells me over and over again, fear not. Don't be afraid, doesn't it? It even says in 2 Timothy, right? It says, uh, the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So what do you mean here, Paul, Peter? What do you mean? Well, you see, Peter, what he's talking about here is not that kind of fear that makes us cower and run. It's not that kind of fear that means being afraid. Peter is really saying here, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in the fear of the Lord. Because there's a huge difference between fear and the fear of the Lord. Because when you truly fear the Lord, it doesn't make you run away from Him. It makes you run to Him. So while we're on this earth, we are to be living in the fear of the Lord. So let's begin today by answering that first question. Some of you were like ready for me to get to that, weren't like, I want to just, just tell me what the fear of the Lord is. So here it is. What is the fear of the Lord? Now, before we get into this, I've done a significant amount of research on this subject. Why? Because this is one of the subjects I am the most passionate about. I love this subject of the fear of the Lord because it is so incredibly rich. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. And I promise you, if you jump on this journey with me, you're going to be amazed at what God is going to show you today. Now, I cannot begin to tell you how many commentators that I have read simply equate the fear of the Lord to a respect for the Lord. It is to be respectful of the Lord. Absolutely. But that's not all. That's too simplistic of a definition. It's a, that's actually incredibly incomplete because there is so much more to the fear of the Lord. So let's just use the Bible to define the fear of the Lord. Is that okay? Is that all right if I just use the Bible? You guys would rather that than just my words, right? I'm going to let the Bible define the fear of the Lord. So let's just jump in here. It says in Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So knowledge, what is that? That's truth. That's facts, isn't it? Wisdom is the application of that knowledge, of that truth and facts. It's how do I use that, isn't it? In another translation, instead of beginning, it uses the word foundation. So the fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge and wisdom. That's what we should build our entire life on, is that foundation right there. Now, if you don't have the fear of the Lord as your foundation, then you have a lousy foundation. I'm just here to tell you. You have a foundation that will not last. It's like building your house on sand. And when the storms come... It washes everything away. But when you have the fear of the Lord and everything's built on that, it's like building your house on rock. And when the storms come, there's nothing bringing that down. Let's keep going. In Isaiah 33, verses 5 and 6, Isaiah says, The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with His justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. 
The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. What's the treasure? It's the Lord Himself. The treasure is the Lord Himself. And He's a rich store of salvation and knowledge and wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the key to that. It's the key to this treasure. In Psalm 33, verses 8 and 9, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The fear of the Lord is to be in awe of Him. Have you ever just stopped to think about just how awesome and how magnificent our God is? I mean, have you ever slowed down in life and you were just still and you thought about God and His creation? How mighty and awesome He is? Have you done that? You should. Because listen to me, God is not your buddy. He's not your buddy. He's not some man upstairs. He's not the genie in the bottle who comes out to grant you three wishes. He's not some spiritual slot machine that you pull and he gives you a jackpot of blessings each time that you call on him. He's not some grumpy old man in the sky who is always angry, ready to throw a lightning bolt at you every time you screw up. No. He's not some cool dude that you can just be whoever you want around. You're like, hey, what's up, God? You guys, you and I are bros. No, he's the Lord God Almighty. He is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. So whenever God appeared to men in Bible times, the results were always the same. There was an overwhelming sense of terror and of their sinfulness. Let me just give you some examples. When God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, Moses had to hide his face. He couldn't even look upon God. In Genesis chapter 17, when Abraham encountered God, he fell to his face on the ground. In Numbers chapter 16, when Moses and Aaron heard the Lord speak, what did they do? They fell to their faces. When Isaiah encountered God, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. The holiness of God made him realize his own sinfulness. In Revelation chapter 1, John says when he saw the Lord, he fell at his feet as if he were dead. Because that's what happens when you encounter a holy God. We are driven to our faces. Where do you see that today? Are we on our faces before the Lord? Are we? Well, we should be. The Lord says in Jeremiah 32, 39 and 40, he says, and I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me. Now, this is the New Living Translation. If I were to kick over to the New King James Version, it's going to use the word fear in place of worship because worship is another definition of the fear of the Lord. So to fear the Lord is to worship the Lord. So it it could read, and I will give them one heart and one purpose to fear me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. And I will make an inheritance, a covenant with them, and I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to fear me and they will never leave me. You see, when you fear the Lord, you'll never leave the Lord because you don't run away from God. You run to God. That's good right there. Come on. 
Now, you guys have seen me point at this screen like, like you guys can see what I'm pointing at. I laughed about this, I think, last message. So just forgive me every time I'm pointing at this screen because I know you guys are seeing this one, but I'm seeing that one. But y'all know what I mean, right? Okay. All right, so God, he places this fear in our hearts the moment that we accept him as Lord and Savior. He does. He puts that fear in our hearts. But listen to me, it's only in seed form. It's not developed yet. The question is, do we cultivate that seed in our lives? Are we living in the fear of the Lord? When you fear the Lord, you will worship the Lord. You will be on your face before him. If I keep going here, Proverbs 14, verses 26 and 27, it says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. So what is the fear of the Lord? It's a strong confidence. How many need some confidence? Yeah. It's a fountain of life. That's like rejuvenating itself over and over. That's where you're getting life from, the fear of the Lord. And lastly, it's to depart from the snares of death. Well, that's like departing from sin, isn't it? Because what does Romans 6.23 say? It says, says, for the wages of sin is death. See, when you fear the Lord, you depart from that. And staying with that, if you look at the next verse, what does it say? Proverbs 3.7, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You see, when you fear the Lord, you have a new relationship with sin. You don't play with it anymore. Because you hate it. You hate it so much you're not going to indulge in it. That's the kind of fear that we need. The fear of the Lord. So let's summarize. What is the fear of the Lord? It's the beginning or foundation of knowledge and wisdom. It's the key to His treasure. It's to be in awe of Him. It's to worship Him. It's to have strong confidence. It's to have security in Him. It's a fountain of life. It's to depart from evil. It's to hate evil. Now I can't claim that This is an exhaustive list of the fear of the Lord. But I hope that using the Bible here, you've got a clear definition of what it is, or clearer than you did when you came in. But let's apply what we learn. Let's apply what we learn and let's get practical for just a moment. So what is the fear of the Lord? It's to take God seriously. He keeps His promises. So we're to obey His commands. It's an awareness that you're in the presence of a holy and just and almighty God and He will hold you accountable for your thoughts, for your words, and for your actions. Now, I love how Pastor John Bavere gives his definition of the fear of the Lord. He says it's to be terrified, to be away from God and away from His presence. Isn't it? Because when you fear the Lord, you don't run from God, you run to God. You don't ever want to be away from Him. All right, so let's answer the next question. What is, or excuse me, why is the fear of the Lord important? All right, why is the fear of the Lord important? Well, let's start in Isaiah. Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, it says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Who's the shoot? Jesus. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on... Who is that? Jesus, yes. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. You see, Jesus had the fear of the Lord. Doesn't that make it important? I'd say so. 
Now, remember what I said earlier about being holy? It's a process. You're being perfected. It's completed in, by the fear of the Lord. This process was called sanctification because we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're to live our lives as if Jesus did. We're to follow him. We are to be fully devoted and faithful followers of Christ. You see, Isaiah tells us here that Jesus has the fear of the Lord. So we should have that fear too. Now, Jesus, in his own words, in Matthew 10, he says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, when you fear the Lord, you fear nothing else and no one else. Jesus puts everything in this perspective here when he says, Fear only God. As children of God, we must be fearless in this world. Over and over again, the Bible tells us not to fear, doesn't it? It says not to be afraid. I said this last service, there's like 365 references to fear not in the Bible. That's one fear not for every day, isn't it? We're to be fearless. I've been blown away at how badly our so-called media, fake news if you will, has blown this whole thing of coronavirus way out of proportion, hasn't it? Personally, I think the spirit of fear that's been perpetuated on so many levels has been far worse than the coronavirus itself. I'm even more surprised at how much of the church hasn't fared much better. I really am. Aren't you thankful that you have a senior pastor who will stand boldly and proclaim the gospel no matter what man says? Yeah. Now, I think A.W. Tozer says it best. He says, a frightened world needs a fearless church, doesn't it? Where's that fearless church right now? I wonder where it is. Men and women of God, where is it? As children of God, we should be fearless. The Lord God Almighty is the only one who deserves our fear. Because when you fear Him, you fear nothing else. So why is the fear of the Lord important? It was important to Jesus, so it should be important to us. But that's not all. Let's keep going here. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, You must fear the Lord your God and serve Him. And then Deuteronomy 10.12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and your soul. So what are these two verses saying? Why is the fear of the Lord important? Because we're commanded to do it. We're commanded. Proverbs 23, verses 17 and 18 say, Don't envy sinners, but always continue to what? Fear the Lord. You will be rewarded for this. Your hope will not be disappointed. So why is the fear of the Lord important? Because you will be rewarded. How many of you want to be rewarded? Yeah, I do. Don't get mistaken here. You're not rewarded with salvation, are you? Why is that? Because it's a free gift, isn't it? By faith, right? Through, it's, it's, through, it's by grace through faith. That's how we're saved. You're not rewarded for your good behavior, okay? Let's just make that distinction. But you will be rewarded if you fear him. All right, so let's keep going. Proverbs 34, 7. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who... Fear Him, right? 
How many of you would like that? Don't you want to guard someone who surrounds and defends you and keeps you from evil? The Lord God Almighty does that when you fear him. We need to stand on the, on the word of God. Keep going here, Isaiah 66, 2. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. When was the last time that you trembled at his word? Let me just ask you. When was it? You know, we get so caught up in following the news and following Q and following all this other stuff. But if you're not in the Word of God and you're not following Him, you're not listening to this, then how do you know what to do? How do you even fear Him? This is what we should be putting in our hearts and our minds and stop stuffing it with all this other stuff. Okay? It's okay to keep up with what's happening in the world. You don't want to have your head in the sand. I get it. But don't let that be a substitute or take priority over the Word of God. All right, keep going here. Deuteronomy 5.29 Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You see, what are these two verses saying? Why is the fear of the Lord important? Because you'll be blessed. You see it right there. I will bless them. It might be well with you. You will be blessed. Psalm 103.11 For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Why is the fear of the Lord important? Because you'll be loved. How many of you want to be loved? Yeah. Proverbs 19.23 Fear the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. Why is the fear of the Lord important? Because you'll be secure. We will be secure. Now I love this one. Acts 9.31 The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. How many of you want a stronger church? Then fear the Lord. Because that's how the church can actually do something. That's how we can grow. Did you know that the church in the book of Acts, in that day, that's how everything blew up. Right? Remember when persecution was coming and the church just kept growing? There's not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church. But if you want to see it get stronger, then we fear the Lord. Psalm 112.1 Praise the Lord! How joyful are those who fear the Lord! I bet you didn't even know this was in there that many times in the Bible, did you? <laughs> I'm only showing you the half of it today. And delight in obeying His commands. So, why do you fear the Lord? Because you'll have joy. Psalm 34, 9. Fear the Lord, you His godly people, for those who fear Him will have all they need. Oh, that's a promise we can stand on. Did you know that? You're going to have all you need if you fear Him. Now, it didn't say you're going to have all you want, did it? There's a big difference there. So you don't need to worry because you're going to have all you need. And the last one here, Psalm 147, 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in His mercy. So, why is the fear of the Lord important? Let's summarize. Because we're commanded to do it. We will be rewarded. We'll be defended. We'll be blessed. We'll be loved. We'll be secure. We'll be stronger. We'll have joy. We'll have all we need. And because it pleases Him. I'd say it's pretty important, don't you? So let's answer this last question. How do I live in the fear of the Lord? How do I actually do it? Well, let's just give you two words. Obey Him. 
That's how you do it. You obey him. I know. You were waiting for something really huge, weren't you? (laughs) Obey him. King Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, but he also made some incredibly bad mistakes. It was his loss of the fear of the Lord that led to those mistakes. Now, in writing the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes about the meaning of life. He talks about how things are just meaningless. And he had experienced it all. He was a man who had everything. He had all the money in the world. He had all these palaces. He had over 700 concubines as wives. He had experienced it all. And if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll get to the end here in the very last chapter, in the very last couple of verses. And he sums up everything that he's experienced and everything that he's written about. And here's what he says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You see, everything is summed up right here. This is the meaning of life. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. Pretty conclusive, don't you think? The whole duty of man right there. Now, God sees everything. He sees every secret thing. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm so upset over what's happening in our country. I'm so upset of what's happened with the new administration being elected. Let me tell you something. Evil, I know right now it seems like evil is prevailing. That this evil in this world is, is they're getting away with it. Let me tell you something. Judgment day is coming. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That day is coming. The day of reckoning is coming. So you may not see, right, the wrath of God poured out upon evil in your lifetime in a way that you might think. But I can promise you that. Those who are perpetuating evil right now, the whole pedophilia ring, I could go on and on and on and on, fake news and all this stuff, they're going to have their day in court. It's coming. It is coming. So, one day, you and I are going to have to stand before God and give an account for our lives. Now, I I want to use an, an example that comes from Abraham's life about obedience. Because obedience truly does demonstrate whether you fear the Lord or not. You know, you know Abraham. Uh, the God pulled him aside and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you more descendants than there are stars in the sky. That was a promise that he got. And it took 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. I'm skipping over a whole bunch of stuff, okay? But just stay with me. So 25 years later, Sarah, who was barren, finally has her child. And that child's name was Isaac. It was Isaac. All right, so they have Isaac, right? That was the promised child. And what does God say now? He says, Abraham, I want you to take the son, your only son, who you love, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering unto me. Take him upon that mountain and do that. Can you imagine what you'd feel if the Lord God said that to you and you've been waiting 25 years for this promised child? What? God, you want me to do that? When you read that, you don't find that Abraham started complaining to God. He didn't try to broker with God and have a deal or anything like that. He immediately obeyed. The next day, he took his son. They went up to the mountain. They got him up on the altar that Abraham had built. He was, you know, getting ready. He had the knife over his head. And he was getting ready to plunge that knife into his chest. 
and make that sacrifice unto the Lord. He was being obedient to him. And you know what happened right at this moment? The angel of the Lord says to him, don't lay a hand on the boy. For now I know that you truly fear God. That's what the angel of the Lord said. You see, because it's our obedience that demonstrates, right, our fear of the Lord. I've said it, you may have heard me say this before, as a definition of fear of the Lord. It is reverence that results in obedience. And you can see that in the life of Abraham. Now, that's not all. I thought what was really cool, this morning, God laid this, actually laid this on my heart yesterday, but I didn't see it until this morning. I just kept hearing this Genesis chapter 22 over and over in my head. And so I didn't have time to change this on my screen. Y'all mind if I read from the Bible? Can I do that? All right, I'm going to read right here. So he says, Now that I know that you truly fear God, you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Now I'm in verse 13. Then Abraham looked up, and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Woo, that really got me because you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And He died in our place to pay for our sins. That is so good right there. Man, I could jump up and down. That is so good. And you wouldn't know that unless you were in the Word of God because He does speak. Because this is alive, it's active, and it is powerful. Alright, I'm going to get back to First Peter here. Y'all ready? I don't need these. Y'all ready? Okay. So, we, we've, we went through this. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. Do you see the connection with Genesis 22 that I just read? Only God can do that. That was so good. And he gave that to me this morning. You couldn't have given that to me last week, Lord? He does that. So it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ that saves us. There is no other way for us to be saved. Now before the good news is good, we have to become aware of the bad news and just how bad it really is. A life without Jesus is a life destined in eternity in hell. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is what he said to Eve in the Garden of Eden. What did he say? You won't die. He's not talking about physical death there when he said that. Because remember, the Lord God said, you can eat from any tree in this garden except for that one, right? Because if you eat it from it, you will surely die. The Lord was talking about Spiritual death at that moment. And so there's the lie of Satan that he perpetuates even today. You won't die. Remember that the next time that you're tempted with sin. Because he's going to whisper that in your ear. You won't die. That's a lie and no matter how many times we hear it, no matter how good it sounds, it's a lie. Because he's a liar. You can be good, but being good is never good enough. Did you know that? If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, then you will die in your sins and you will live an eternity apart from Him in hell. Sadly, I hate to say that, but that's the truth. 
Jesus says that I am the way. I am the truth. No one can come to me, right? Or come to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. So what do we do now? What do we do now? We repent and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. The Word says that He learned obedience through the things that He suffered. He had the fear of the Lord. He died for your sins. He had the fear of the Lord, so should we. So we've got to return to Him. Stop living your life for yourself and start living for Him. Now, I love what uh, Charles Von Hammerstein says in his book. He wrote this book entitled, Where is the Fear of God? Losing the Treasure of the Lord. If you've got your handout, it's the very last thing on the second page of your handout. I'm going to read this quote to you. He says, The fear of the Lord is our call to return to the Lord Himself. Not for what we can get, but because He is the beginning. He's the source of all that we hope for and desire. The fear of God is that instinctual driving force, that call of our spiritual nature, beckoning us from seeking after our way and returning to Him. It's the fear of the Lord that drives us to Him. It's the fear of the Lord that guards us and keeps us away from sin. So we become holy because our God is holy. We cling to Him because it was His precious blood that redeemed us, which is what it says right there on the screen. It redeemed us. It redeemed us from a life apart from Him in hell. And we do all of this by living in the fear of the Lord. That's the key to the treasure of life. Let's pray. Mark, if you're in here, there you come. Lord Jesus, we just come before you. You are an incredibly mighty God. Forgive us, Lord, for not giving you the glory that you're due, for not being and standing in awe of you. Lord God, teach us through your Holy Spirit how we are to reverence you, how we are to walk with you, how we are to trust in your Holy Spirit. If you're here today, and maybe your life has gotten astray, and maybe you've been living for you, and you've drifted, And you're not walking or living in the fear of the Lord, but you'd like to walk in the fear of the Lord from this day forward. You want to make that decision to get back on track. If that's you, slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. Anyone? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of hands. Thank you. Father, I ask that you would come in and fill those that raised their hand with your Holy Spirit, that you'd give them the power to walk in the fear of you, that they will not be frightened or afraid of anything in this life because as long as we have you, we have all we need. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd encourage them, help them to walk boldly and courageously for you, that they can put their life in your hands and trust in you completely, that you would help them in purging their lives of sin to become holy as your word calls us to be holy. As you keep praying today, there may be some of you here that you've not made that decision to follow Jesus at all. You know of him, but you don't have that personal relationship with him. And maybe today you're ready to make that decision. Maybe you feel the Holy Spirit tugging upon your heart because no man can come unto the Father except the Spirit that draw him. And if that's you and that Spirit is speaking to you now, I want to encourage you to slip up your hand so I can pray for you. Anyone here want to make Jesus their Lord and Savior today? Anyone want to make that decision today to follow Jesus? I see one hand in the back. Anyone else want to make that decision? Thank you. Okay. 
And how about you just pray this prayer with me? Maybe you didn't slip up your hand, but you still, you thank you. You want to follow Jesus. Pray this with me. Father God, I realize that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. But I need you and I call upon your name right now to come into my life, cleanse me of my sin, make me brand new. I believe in you. I know that you're the Son of God and you died for me on that cross and you rose on the third day. I put my life in your hands. I will walk with you now and forever. Amen.